0: G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or whatever generic fruit-based device you have. We're really grateful for you for taking the time to download and listen to this RVC Podcast, and we really don't ask for anything in return, but we'd be incredibly grateful if you could just pop to iTunes or the Apple Podcast Store and leave us a review. A five-star review would be great, just like the one we recently received from Volklect, who kindly commented this um, this brilliant series is clear, interesting, and easy to understand. I recommend it to anyone interested in veterinary medicine, especially if you want to keep up to date with the latest developments. So many thanks for that, Volkert. Um, and, uh, please, uh, please do sort of take a bit of time to uh, write down one, a, a review, um, and, uh, give us five stars. That would, that would be great. They help us in metrics that one day, in fact, probably we need a, a, a podcast on understanding the, uh, the, uh, the metrics of Apple podcasts and, and why it's important to leave a review. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll just leave it at the fact that it's uh, very important to get the, uh, to get the metrics right, to get the information that we want to give to the people who actually sort of want to receive it. So really appreciate a couple of your minutes to leave us review. So uh, this is uh, number two of the uh, the Stein sessions. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Dr. Stein Neeson for returning to the podcast room. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. And, uh, and today, I think we're going to talk initially uh, about um, sort of re- really, I suppose, the, the bottom line, how often should you monitor and, and, and what, what should you monitor in our diabetic patients?
1: Yeah, yeah, a good question, and a question I receive a lot. Uh, basically, the the, the the most commonly asked question is, what is your protocol for monitoring a diabetic pet? And I give a very annoying answer to that. I, I often answer with a question, and I ask people, how do you like your sandwiches? So, Dom, how do you like your sandwiches?
0: Well, I think it, it kind of depends, Don. Oh, does on it the now? De-
1: yeah. <laughs> and that's sort of the point, isn't it? So, uh, you know, and, and you need to understand what you buy with your sand. So if you if you get your bacon butty, you know, you get a, a full stomach, but you also know that there are some health-related uh, consequences of that uh, compared to sort of your whole uh, meal sort of, uh, you know, avocado sandwich. Uh, so so that's the same with your monitoring choice. Um, so so uh, we, we think at the diabetic remission clinic that it's very important to establish a bond with the diabetic pet owner and the diabetic pet, get to know them. Uh, and then you can figure out what is best for that pet and the owner to monitor that diabetic. Um, so um, what, what stands above anything is that we need to look at the clinical picture. Because uh, of all the parameters that we've got, that is the one that is not going to lie to you. And all the other glycemic parameters, so you're talking about the fructosamines, the glucose curves, uh, maybe urine glucose, uh, even glycosylated hemoglobin, which is making a, a comeback as well. All those gly- glycemic parameters, they can lie to you. So there are issues with uh, measuring it. uh, There are issues with other parameters interfering with them. Uh, But at the end of the day, as long as we get a good relationship with the pet owner, they can tell us an accurate account of what are the clinical signs. And those should be the starting point. Uh, On top of that, we can add some glycemic parameters. And those the choice of those will depend on the home situation, uh, what, what can the pet tolerate, in terms of the samples that we require from the cattle dog, and what can the client pay for as well, so there's a financial element to that as well, um, and and that whole assessment is a conversation we have with the pet owner. Um, yeah.
0: So, so when you're talking about the clinical assessment of the of the patient, so, so you just in general, you're asking how they have been over the over the last period of time before they came back, or is that more of their clinical exam findings? Do they look? normal, hydrated, are they still eating, drinking Yeah, it's a combination. Urination? Yeah,
1: it's a combination of history and a physical exam and uh, one of the things that happens a lot is uh, I get asked to interpret a glucose curve and uh, people phone up or send me an email and say look at this glucose curve, I don't know what's going on there, tell me uh, what, what's going on, fix it for me Stein uh, and they, they fail to tell me the clinical picture and that, that's already where it goes wrong because uh, that glucose curve could be lying to us, could be stressed uh, it could be a number of reasons why we only get high values or a sudden drop. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, we need to know the clinical picture first. Um, and for that reason, because we, it's, I guess, the scientists in us as vets that make us focus more closely on numbers when numbers are available rather than words when words are available. And what I mean with that is that we sometimes get distracted by the glucose numbers and we start to ignore the clinical picture because the numbers are apparently or seemingly easier to interpret and uh, for that reason we've started sort of a little campaign to make people realise that the clinical picture is everything in a diabetic assessment um, by uh, developing a diabetic clinical score, so this is a scoring system out of 12 uh, that is uh, constructed by asking four questions one about weight changes, one about uh, urination and thirst one about appetite and the other one about activity levels and people score those uh, 0 to 3 depending on whether or not there are no changes, mild changes, moderate changes or severe changes and they come with a descriptor which is more easily uh, understandable uh, for for the owner. So even if a cat or a dog is uh, lying about a lot, that's the term we use, then that's a very severe decrease in activity levels. If they uh, are begging for food, that is a severe indication of polyphenols or increase appetite. So, so everyone can look that up on our Facebook site, obviously Diabetic Remission Clinic. We've got examples of the diabetic uh, clinical score um, that people can use in their own practice setting. And this is an attempt at making people think that as soon as I see a diabetic coming through the door, um, I should be doing loads of stuff, but especially determining a good clinical history and physical exam. So I should be scoring this diabetic. And if the score is low, uh, around the 0 zero to two or so out of 12 you know things must be going either really well or animal is going into remission or maybe we are overdosing if the score is really high then things need to be done there is some sort of um, uh, abnormality that we need to rectify and we'll use some tools like the glycemic parameters to see what we can do for that animal so I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast to start using the diabetic clinical score because you do yourself and your patient a favor by doing so
0: and has this score been like validated in a in a way, or do you think it's just the the core things that you're interested in with? Um diabetic patients.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a core thing anyway, but on top of that, we have validated it. So we used uh, a Guardian, which is a continuous glucose monitoring system, a little subcutaneous probe that continuously, every minute or so, determines the glucose levels um, on cats um, over several days. Uh, So we got um, thousands of glucose uh, uh, points, uh, data points, and uh, we correlated that to the score and there was a really good correlation there because it was measured in such manner that it is stress-free, it is likely that that was quite a a reliable way of assessing how well these diabetics were doing, Uh, as well as a water diary uh, was being kept uh, for those animals as well. So we knew exactly how many milliliters they were drinking. And then we correlated it with a diabetic clinical score, which was obtained through questioning the pet owner as well as weighing the pet. And um, amazingly, though not surprisingly in a way, because we had that... uh, suspicion already there was a very good correlation there Um, so it is likely uh, superior than you know a a series of glucose measurements done on a cat that is sitting next to a dog in a kennel in a practice uh, that is all very noisy and stressful Uh, so the diabetic clinical score is something we definitely recommend on the basis of that
0: And when you when you introduce it when you have a new diabetic and you um, say this is what we're going to do, do you say to the clients that these are the things that we're interested in? So you highlight that sort of before, so rather than them um, coming to a clinic and going, you know, how much did uh, you have? You noticed an increase in your cat's drinking, and you're like, sorry.
1: <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So the 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 first aim of diabetic treatment in those initial days to weeks is basically to get the owner to understand what we're dealing with and what we're looking for. Rather than to obtain fantastic diabetic control, it's just to set up um, the the formula for success, and that formula definitely includes at as its main component understanding by the owner, but also the veterinary team of what we want to achieve, what we want to look out for, and for this reason, we've included. This diabetic clinical score in that free RVC diabetes uh, pet diabetes app that everyone can download as well so owners can score their own pet before they come to the practice even um, and they can uh, send it via the app to the practice email address or other ways of communicating electronically so that um, that is being um, kept in the records as well of this pet
0: and are, there, are there, like are people pretty variable in their sort of responses to some questions but better better in other questions because imagine like water with um, a, a 20 kilo dog is probably an easier thing to to recognize you have to fill up the bowl a yeah. lot more than a than a cat that maybe well it, it was it was you know I'm sure it was very warm last week in the UK and maybe the evaporation had uh, yeah. had increased that maybe that that well it was a warm day so maybe I filled it up a little bit more than usual but I don't know that my cat was drinking
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, and maybe the, the most useful is for these scores to be done by the same people with the same pet over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the parameter might be mo- most reliable when it is uh, yeah, being being looked at in, in light of that particular pet rather than compared between pets. Um, so, uh, but yeah, there are always parameters that can alter due to other circumstances than just the diabetes. But as a baseline, if we talk about the best way to monitor a diabetic pet, it should should always start and stop in the end with the clinical picture is it good enough are the signs of overdosing or remission or are the signs of uh, of us not having controlled the glucose well enough because we have the PBD, the polyphagia and especially weight because weight doesn't tend to lie if the weight is stable in a diabetic you must be doing a decent enough job
0: okay and say so then when do you think more about with the monitoring whether you need some of the more of the um, indices such as like a, a Blood glucase curve, or even a, a an isolated blood glucose, uh, um, um a blood glucose test, or even something like fructosamine.
1: Yeah, so. So, like I say, we start with the clinical picture, and then on top of that, we can choose to add in elements of glucose testing of some kind, and glucose testing, I mean that in the broadest sense of the word, so that could be also fructosamine, which is a reflection of glucose, glycosylated hemoglobin, uh, urine glucose testing, Um, so it could be anything or a full 24-hour glucose curve with or without the use of new gadgets like continuous glucose monitoring uh, uh, tools. Um, So we can choose together with the owner, Uh, so we have a conversation and say well, you know Would your cat or dog tolerate certain things? Can we perhaps have you determine blood glucose at home? You know, would you fancy that? Here's a video have a look at it go home and think about it Whether or not you think you would be up for that. So we don't push things We we try to establish a good relationship without too much pressure and see what is possible Now if they can go for you know home blood glucose monitoring or they can pay for uh, you know uh, and one of those new gadgets that we can place under the skin and send them home with uh, one of the ones that this uh, one of my favorites at the moment is the freestyle Libre so you can send um, pets home with that for two weeks and you get two weeks worth of continuous data of uh, subcutaneous uh, or interstitial glucose measurements now if you can achieve either one of those options where we can get serial glucose estimations then you have more detail about that diabetic so that enables you to fine-tune better, uh, it enables you to prevent hypoglycemia better. Um, so that's the advantage of that. The disadvantage of that is that we are doing quite a lot. Um, you know, it might be for certain pets too intense, or for certain owners, it comes with a certain cost as well. Um, so you know, it it can be opted for uh, for those advantages, or it can be um, decided not to go that way because of the disadvantages. Um,
0: so, so what what patients are there? Are there? It, might, it seems like a very exciting thing to be able to look at their blood yeah. case for for a couple of weeks, but are there certain Certain patients you think oh, actually maybe that information would be really important so so obviously hopefully combine that with uh, the the willing client and and the patient that can tolerate that but are there certain animals that you you you, you gravitate towards more information or wanting more um, glucose information?
1: Yeah, I mean, two populations, I guess. One is the difficult diabetic, so we've done all the basics right, but we can't seem to get it right. Um, So they're still clinical despite uh, insulin treatment, um, or they are suffering from hypoglycemia, for instance. And then we want more detail in order to figure out why is that happening, and should we be changing insulin type, or what's going on there? So that's one population the other population would be the newly diagnosed diabetic, um, in which we try to get the insulin dose right. And, um, you know, you can adapt the insulin dose on the basis of just clinical science, but the one thing that you can't then prevent is potentially hypoglycemia occurring. So it would be nice to, once we've sent the animal home on a safe starting dose, uh, to then have an evaluation of some kind take place 7 to 10 days later. Um, if we can do a serial assessment of clinical glucose during a 12-hour period, then that gives us the highest chance of picking up the lowest uh, point in the glucose curve. Um, so, so that then tells us, can we go higher with the insulin dose, or have we maximized that insulin type because, you know, the lowest point is already, let's say, 3.5 millimoles per liter times 18, if you want to uh, think about milligrams per deciliter, so I won't do that live on air because I will show my weakness in mathematics. Uh, but, uh, but. Th- but basically if we have values of that kind already with that dose then often that's an indication that and and the animal is still not controlled often that is an indication that we should be thinking about a different insulin type however if we haven't reached uh, such low values just yet it shows you that you can still go higher with insulin dose and that would be the next step we send them home again um, or perhaps this is happening at home if they do home blood glucose monitoring or using one of the gadgets and then we can do that uh, just via a me a phone call uh, and advise them via the telephone on what steps to take. See, with that
0: uh, with, with the um, looking at the, the four criteria, as you said before, that's mm-hmm. obviously your main sort of starting point. Yeah. And would that mean that uh, that a, a lot of things can just happen with the with the client and the vet, not necessarily um, with them in the in a consult room, you know, as long as their client's happy with their understanding that they know their patient's drinking or can monitor their their, their patient's sort of body weight at home and their appetite, then actually, you know, a lot, a lot of this can be done remotely rather than actually coming into the... the the clinic.
1: Yeah, a periodic assessment of health at the vet is good anyway, especially in a diabetic. Uh, But uh, what we want to do is assess what is going on in the home situation. Mm. So to do glucose curves in the practice was actually always a bit of a weird thing for us to suggest because that's not reflective of what's going on at home. And that's exactly what we're trying to establish. Um, And it was merely due to the lack of tools for us to establish that in the home situation that that was being advocated now that we've got more tools to actually assess glucose in the home situation, that's definitely the way forward.
0: And how, how many times actually I, I, I don't know for, for us do, do we at the at the uh, the RVC actually have patients come in for glucose curves compared to those that are that are being monitored at home? If we're the the, the champions of trying to to to, yeah. to get this protocol lifestyle, if you like, for for diabetics and diabetic patients. Um, uh, ensconced out there yeah, so, yeah. Uh, how, how good are we at, at uh engaging
1: well, I think we're improving and um, also because the tools are becoming cheaper and cheaper I mean the, the future is going to give us just a, a little chip that can just be implanted and will, will tell us for months on an end uh, via probably our smartphone what, what, what the glucose is doing and if, if we educate owners well enough and you know that situation mirrors the situation in human diabetology so if you are a diabetic human you manage your diabetes yourself largely and that is really the best way to do it rather than have somebody in a white coat tell you what to do you know your body better um, and you can own your diabetes better and that also gives empowerment and uh, it has been shown that those people with diabetes are happier for it as well and that's very much what we think as well from our quality of life research that we've done at the royal veterinary college we got to know a large group hundreds of diabetic pet owners um, intimately in a good way um, in terms of what they felt Uh, with regards to the diabetes of their pet and and their relationship with the vet. And one of the major points for me that stood out from all those conversations we had with the diabetic pet owners was that they really were crying out for more control over their pet's diabetes. They felt a little bit out of control. They felt that we, the veterinary community, were a bit of a black box. You dropped off your diabetic pet, we did stuff, and then they picked up the diabetic pet again and we said, yeah, go up, by one unit, please. And, and, and that didn't make sense whatsoever. And therefore, because it being a black box, it not being uh, something owned by the diabetic pet owner, who is the most important person in this game if we want to do anything effectively, it left owners with a sense of, I'm out of the loop. I'm, I'm not feeling completely happy with it. So any step we can make to put the diabetic pet owner back in the driving seat with us being the supportive network behind that person is a step forward and will lead to improved quality of life of pet and owner because remember you know these these owners got the pet to enjoy it I've said that before in the previous podcast as well and now we suddenly let them do all kinds of things and what we want to prevent is that this pet becomes the diabetic pet it should be just a pet that they enjoy that happens to have diabetes
0: absolutely is there anything else that you think you'd like to say in the, in the general sort of management philosophy or uh, uh of diabetic patients you'd like to get across in this in this podcast
1: yeah well make sure we individualize Uh, you know what's good for one pet and one owner is not necessarily good for the other one so uh, the other thing I would like to stand out is that us vets need to make sure that we involve veterinary technicians and nurses more uh, especially with this disease I think it's a disease that's ideal to get uh, at least one nurse in the practice uh, uh, trained up to understand this disease better and becoming that one person in the practice that is the go-to person that can really be the central point to help provide the best possible care that can call in the vet when necessary, but at times also deal with any issues that um, are being raised by uh, various diabetic pet owners on their own as well. And and that's really the way forward. Again, in parallel with human diabetology, where the diabetes nurse is really the pillar of diabetes care in humans. And and, uh, I think that will be the way forward. Nurses are better than us anyway. We, we all know that.
0: De- definitely uh, definitely more caring and uh, and, and seemingly le- less frightening. We're well, not white coats and dictating Absolutely. dictating yeah. numbers. Um, well, thank you very much, uh, Stein, for your, for your time. We'll wrap it up there in a, in a, a short and sweet uh, look at that. But I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to ask you back again for, for another Stein session. Um, I'm going to trademark that, by the way, so you'll have to pay me to use your name. Um, so, uh, so thank you guys for, for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your uh, on your smartphone. Um, that way, you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. If you could leave us a five star review, honestly, that would be great. And I ham ham on about this all the time, but actually, it really helps for our metrics and and to find uh, um, to get the show out there for people who are actually interested in in, in listening to it. Um, so we'll place some show notes in the RBC pages and also a link to the um, the Diabetes Remission Clinic, where there's a, a plethora of information. Um, so if you just type in RBC. Uh, clinical podcast into your search engine, or if you're on Facebook, if you just go to the Diabetes Remission Clinic, you'll find a, a link to this show there as, as well. So uh, if you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. You can you can follow me uh, at Don Barfield uh, on Twitter, or you can email me at dbarfield.rvc.ac.uk. At Until next time, bye-bye.